Welcome to the Everyday Hair Colorist. Today's guest is businesswoman, mother, wife, all-round intrepid adventurer. Her name's Sally Learmouth. She owns Gloss Communications. Gloss Communications is a PR company, and I really want to talk about the importance of PR today on this podcast for businesses big and small. Welcome, Sally. Thank you very much. Great to have you on. And um, first of all, I'd like to talk about what is PR. I mean, it's a word that's thrown around and banded around, but what, what does it mean to you? So I think in really simple terms, you need a PR to communicate your message to your audience. But it's not really a job that you just allocate to someone as such. It's a really collaborative relationship. And the better that works, the better your PR will be. So PR can cover everything really from getting your message out to press, but also getting your message out to your existing clients and um, prospective clients. Right. So public relations. Exactly. Well, it sounds a bit misleading, doesn't it? Because although public relationships, primarily you're talking to press as a PR. But yes, yes. Okay, cool. So you have had and have some really big names under your banner that you've looked after throughout your career. How did PR start for you? Let's talk about Little Sally and how it all began. Um, So Little Sally was a journalist. Right. Um. And I worked on a number of titles and was ultimately the deputy editor on Salon Business Magazine. And before that, I was a music journalist and I worked in entertainment um, journalism as well. Um, Then I went into PR and in all honesty, so when I did my journalism degree, I didn't actually know PR was a thing. And then um, when I started as a journalist, I started getting press releases. And I was thinking, gosh, what's this then? This is, this is sort of making my job quite a lot easier. I thought I was the one to go and hunt out the stories. And here are all these fabulous stories ready-made landing in my email. One of the things that I thought about PR was that it was quite easy compared to journalism. Right. And that all you did was sort of put, put these press releases together and send them in and, you know, go on like nice, fabulous press trips and glamorous things and then when I went into work in in PR I realized that there's so much more behind the scenes like there's so much to be done behind the scenes so I went from my job as a deputy editor um, into setting up my own PR agency Gloss uh, which is over 15 years ago now and um, I had a really good idea of what I needed to do in terms of how to create a story and I think to this day that is you know, what really helps me as a PR is that I do have that background knowledge. But then I went to learn all the mechanics of things like reporting and the, you know, the more business based side of it. But what really, really excites me about PR is working with a client to kind of distill their USP into a clear message that can then be replicated and communicated consistently across all of the platforms. So whether that's press releases, social media, newsletters on your website, all of those sorts of things are, you know, what you need a PR for. So USP is your unique selling point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah? Great. And so when you're looking at brands, are you looking or or brands are looking to work with you? Because it is really a a synergy between two people, isn't it? Two, Two companies, Gloss and whoever you're looking after. Do you look for a USP in there? How do you help your clients find that? Yeah, I do always look for a USP. Um, It sounds quite simplistic, but actually if you can hone things down to one very clear message, that's a lot easier to communicate. 
Mm. And I believe that that will help build a profile more quickly because you've honed it into that one area. So, for example, um, when I first came across you, which was on Twitter many, many moons ago. <laughs> Before um, you took me off it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really intrigued by what you were doing because you were talking about balayage. And that wasn't something that I'd ever heard of, even though I was obviously immersed in the hair world. And I could see that you were talking really passionately and you also had a really deep knowledge of it. You know, the technical side of it was there and you communicated everything really well about that already. So for me, I thought, well, you know, if I could work with you, that's a really exciting opportunity because I know that all of the ingredients are already there for you. Mm. But I know that I can amplify that. I know that I can put that into the right places and that that would really grow your profile. So, you know, and I would say that is what we've always concentrated on, isn't it? Balayage. I mean, obviously, yeah. colours come and go, but balayage is the technique. And we've worked really, really hard to establish that within the press. And now, you know, everybody knows balayage. It's on everybody's menus. So that's why I think that's a really good example of choosing something that is your USP and then just really pushing that message. So with other um, salons, we've done things like, you know, we've made someone the queen of blonde and we talked about blonde all the time. And that wasn't that she only did blonde, but by picking a niche and something that she was really strong on and she was producing really wonderful imagery for, it just made really good sense to do that. And she ended up with a contract with a product company for a blonde product. Yes. You know, that's how these things sort of feed in. It all makes sense when you pick a USP. It might be that, so for Kareen Jackson, for example, Um, when we first started working with her, which was about 15 years ago, she had just taken on organic colour and nobody was doing organic colour. And we really sort of pushed to make that her USP. But that has just kind of, it's kind of developed through her business ever since. So although I wouldn't have said organic was a big focus for her when she took that colour on, her business has grown to be incredibly sustainable. You know, she has vegan services Mm. and she ranks really highly now if you're searching for things like vegan organic so she does really well out of that message you take the message and you amplify it yeah and so a lot of people would say would say i think smaller businesses might say oh well we don't need a pr because of x y and z but from my own personal experience, before any of this Instagram stuff or anything like that happened, I mean, I was in London with no reputation of, well, tatters, reputation in tatters. No, I mean, I was in London with no reputation. I had one in America. Nobody really knew who I was. Um, I was certainly an unfounded name and all that stuff. And you managed to amplify the message and the voice, didn't you? And in, in very clever ways, too. So what would you say to a small business that was thinking, okay, I need, because people get obsessed by Instagram numbers, obviously, uh, because that's the thing to do at the moment. But PR brings something different to the table, doesn't it, than Instagram numbers? Definitely. Um, So I always say that it has to be integrated with the rest of your business. So your whole communication strategy needs to be really effective. So that includes marketing, That's how you record your client information in the salon. How are you utilizing that in your marketing messages? 
How are you recording and tracking results? So, for example, is your receptionist asking new clients how they've heard about you, for example? So just let's, can we just go back a little bit? Because I think that that's really interesting because so many people take, think they take the details when a client comes in or whether a client phones up or logs in on a computer. And we've just come out of our first lockdown and heading into category two here in London at the moment. And a lot of people discovered in lockdown that their whole wrong email addresses, wrong phone numbers, no websites, they couldn't contact anyone. So the importance of that has suddenly become massive within the industry as a whole now, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. And it's something that we've always tried to impress on salons is that so with social media, obviously, that means that you can put your message out there without it being filtered and without having to go through press. So that's the real difference between when I started and now. So previously, the only way to get your message out was to be in a magazine, a newspaper and showing my age, but there were barely even websites at that point. So, you know, that was what it was. Whereas now with social media, you can put your message out there the way you want it to be seen and off it goes. In reality, with social media, as a salon, you're probably only going to have a few thousand followers at most, unless you're doing something, you know, really niche, um, really impressive in terms of something really different. Um, And it's only going to be of interest to, I would say, people in your locality. So if you're a, you know, a salon in a regional area, there's not really much point chasing those thousands and thousands of followers that aren't necessarily no, going to come into your salon. I mean, with you, obviously, you've got your, you know, many, many, many thousands, but you're selling education primarily, and people can yeah. access that education from anywhere in the world. Whereas for people to come in for a hair appointment with you, that's much more limited. And I think what some salons don't realize is that if they had a look at their active client base, if they're recording everything properly, they've probably got tens of thousands of potential email addresses. Yes, yes. I, let, I, I just want everyone to sort of sit back and think about that for a minute, because I think that's an, it's glaringly obvious, yet it's not to so many of us, that the actual people that come in are, are there. You've got you've got them, and it's like you can spread that message to them, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, um, and that is the that is the first kind of marketing area that you should be tapping into. Um, with social as well, when you're posting things, there's only a fraction of your followers are going to see those posts. Whereas yes. if you've got a really good database and you're using that properly. You can see how many people are opening the emails. You can see what the response is. You can use that to tailor your messages going forward. You know, you see what works. You see what doesn't. Um, And sometimes I think people expect more from it. Like they expect to email a thousand people and for, you know, 900 of them to take that offer. Um, So we sometimes hear from salons, oh, well, we tried doing it, but it didn't really work. We only got about, you know, 10 people or 20 people. And I just think but. You know, when you look actually at marketing campaigns, what counts as successful, that's a really good... All you've done is sent an email and you've got 20 bookings off it. I don't think that's... Absolutely. It's not to be sneezed at, is it? It's not to be sneezed at at all and it's already there because people have already figured that one out in lockdown that they didn't have the right information so they couldn't get the message out there. So there, there is value in it. People have seen that. But do you help small businesses 
So for me, writing a blog is an absolutely painful experience and I would always have to send it to you to correct it, to put the grammar in the right place, to help me out. Because I might have the ideas, but I can't necessarily put them into words. And so you would you would help with that. Do you help salons with their newsletters? Yes, absolutely. We love to be involved in the newsletters, in fact, because it means that they're consistent with all of the other messages that are going out. Yes. So there's two things in that then already. You've talked about consistency all the way through. And even in social classes, I always talk about consistency. And the other thing you said was don't expect, you know, miracles on the first thing because you have to build your audience. People have to be excited about your email. Yeah, your your monthly email needs to engage the people for them to even act on it. And sometimes that's difficult to get people to engage. You have to learn by your mistakes. I think as well, it depends on whether people are, you know, ready at that time when you send that email to book that service. And I think if you look at big brands, like if I think about a lot of the people who I subscribe to, so things like Neil's Yard, for example, or Hush Clothing, or, you know, I tend to get a weekly email from them. And I'm not going to buy from them every week, but I will consistently buy from them. And a lot of the time, I, you know, I'm a busy girl, I might need a new moisturiser, but I've not necessarily gone to buy one. Whereas when that email drops in, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, I do actually need that. I'll click on the link yes. and off I go. So that's kind of the, the beauty of the, of the newsletter. And we sometimes hear from salons, well, we don't want to hassle our clients. We don't want to be a pain. We, you know, people don't like to get lots of emails. Well, they don't, but they can always unsubscribe if they want to. But I think if yeah. you're and, and, you know, if they do, then that's fine. They're not the they're not the person for your newsletter. But if you're sending out nice newsletters, you know, maybe it's something useful like a hair trend or a how to or a tip. It doesn't have to be a hard sell in every newsletter. It's more a communication to them. Like think about yes. it as your own little magazine, for example, that pops into their into their um, email. So it needs to be lovely. You're not just emailing them to say book an appointment no there, there needs to be a story doesn't there so you could talk about what's going on in the salon what's happening with team members there's there's loads of information that you could give out to keep clients up to date and in these times of course you can say this is the measures that we're keeping at the moment as well as you can get your shampoo online it's easier now come in and blah 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 absolutely yeah. clever um i wanted to tell you actually about um Bad Apple Hair, who we look after. So they've got nine salons in the West Midlands and Liverpool. And they've got an active client base of 38,000. And they recently sent just a short email out to clients to let them know that they can download the new salon app now and they can manage their appointments. So they sent out 5,000 emails. And within three hours, 600 people had downloaded the app. 100 people had booked and that's over £10,000 of bookings. And all of that is trackable. So it's just a really clever way to be using your existing database and to be communicating to them to get money into your till. Absolutely, and I think that's really important at the moment too. So that's brilliant. So you, you can look after, you can help people with that. This is what you do. You help people. You don't do it all. You help people, don't you? Yeah, exactly. It's about, it's going back to that message. What is their message? How do you distill that message? How do you then communicate that message? Who is it going to? So, you know, quite often the message needs to be tailored slightly. So if we're pitching something to trade press, then that's going to have a slightly different angle to if we're pitching something to consumer press. Quite often um, a trade or a story won't work for consumer. There's a lot more stories that will work for trade. 
Um, but with a consumer story, when you get that right, that's something that can have a you know really fantastic effect for a salon because that is talking to your potential clients. But again, with that, it's really important to communicate that back to your existing clients. So if you're in something like Elle or The Guardian or a you know great consumer title, that's not necessarily going to bring you tons of new clients because oh. they're national. However, if you then, you know, mail shot your database saying, hey, we were in Elle magazine this month, then all your clients are going to be thinking, oh, wow, my salon's fabulous. They've been in Elle magazine. So it's just about, you know, utilizing that press to keep nurturing that existing client base. Yes. And I think I did an event for a salon that you also represent in um, Bristol and you got the local news in there for them. Yes, and they used they utilized the local news to that they'd been on the news and they brought somebody in from London. And so it was all about getting the messages out to their clientele and highly effective that was as well. And a number of people have done that with you've done that for people, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not just about I think people think, oh, Vogue and Elle and all of those, even though they have started to make their reach not just London, they there is a push to represent all the regions in there. But smaller salons outside of London shouldn't be put off by the idea, well, I only need a PR in London because there's so much you can do regionally as well, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to manage expectations because, you know, for the local salon who thinks they're going to get into Vogue, it's really super unlikely. And when you break that down for them, there's, what, 12 issues a year. There won't really be a hair page every month anyway. They might do a hair feature once every three months Mm. or twice a year. And when you break that down again, how many people are going to be included in that? It's going to be a huge session stylist. That's just the way it works. It is the way it works. And a lot of them are sponsored by product companies anyway, aren't they, when you look at it? Yeah, yeah. and um, with websites as well, it's really interesting how that's changed. Because when they first started springing up, I mean, handbag.com was the really big one when, you know, when it all first started. But, you know, Glamour had their own and... In terms of hair coverage, they were really good at getting out and reviewing local salons. So we would often get quite a lot of coverage with these websites because they would do very regional things like that. They would do lots of um, hair trend features where you could send in quotes and there was loads of scope to get included. Whereas these days, it's much more brand and product focused and they don't tend to have those kind of regional um, reviews. So you do have to be really realistic about what you can achieve. But yes, equally, you want to be getting a nice message out to your local press and to your clientele via all those other sources. So it's really important to have that nice, clean message. And, you know, the reality of somebody coming in from, you know, outside of your region to get their hair done, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, another going from county to county is less likely. But within that county, you've got loads of people that come in to your salon. So it is about messaging and the messaging to the people that are actually going to come to you. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you steer a client? Here's a here's one that could be contentious. How do you steer a client from the vanity projects? And by that, I mean, you know, there was a time when I thought, you know, being in L and Vogue and, you know, um, Harper's Bazaar, Tatler and all of those, and I've been fortunate to be in the print ones as well, But there was a time when it was like that was the thing. But actually, the reality is that I prefer the digital because it gets more traction for me uh, on Google searches and stuff. And how many people actually read that and see that? So how do you steer a client from a vanity project that says, I want to be in 
I want to be in Marie Claire. I want to be in Marie Claire. I want to be in Vogue. I want to be in all those magazines that are, I, I give out to my clients or gave to my clients because, of course, COVID, we don't have any magazines anymore. It, it is really tricky. And I think one of the, one of the really important things for a good relationship um, between PR and client is that the client understands what is realistic. And actually, mm. if you're faced with a client who, who just can't get their head around that, then the likelihood is that's not going to progress as a relationship because they're probably not going to be happy with what's achievable. Um, yeah. It just doesn't really make for, you know, like a good relationship, really. So do you think PR is for everyone, Sally? I think, in all honesty, when you look at any big company, they do have a PR. And a PR is just one of those elements of your business it's just sort of one of the cogs that keeps it going. Um, So for salons, it might be, you know, maybe you'll see it in the same way as you see a receptionist. It might not be that the receptionist generates, you know, a set amount of revenue in the way that a stylist does, but they're just an essential part of your business that keeps everything running smoothly. Um, So, I mean, we all, we sort of often do things for clients as well. They don't really fall under the PR remit, but, you know, we have clients who will come to us and say, oh, we've had this complaint from a client and I've got to write an email back to her and I'm not really sure how to do it or what to say. And we'll get involved with things like that. It's not PR exactly, but it's just, it's sort of helping with the communication and making sure that all of that continues to be smooth. And you do have, it is gloss communications as well, isn't it? So very much communication is part of your core message. Yes, definitely. It's in our name and it's in our DNA is what we say. I like that. I like that too. So if a hairdresser came to you, like I said to you, I, I said to you 10 years ago, I think it's 10 years ago now, Sally, that we started working together. I said to you 10 years ago, I want to increase my profile in the trade. I'm not interested at that point. I wasn't interested in consumer. I wanted to build my name and reputation because I wanted my education to grow in the UK. And you said to me, I think you said to me, we have to start really, really slowly, Jack. It doesn't just happen like that. And that's what you did. You started sewing my name and very small, like two lines of a quote or something from me. And I remember being amazed that I'd got that and how many, but you could see it grow, couldn't you? And you could see it growing from little pieces to half pages to then actually writing a column in Pro Hair Live for a whole year, which nearly killed me. Probably killed you trying to word correct it. Yeah. But it, it doesn't, I think that sometimes people think, oh, PR, and it's going to, you have to commit to it, don't you? You really do. And it's, you know, PR doesn't happen in a bubble. It's not that you hire a PR and they go off and do PR. It's that it's really collaborative. And um, I would say historically, the clients who we've worked with who have really flown and got the most out of it are the ones that are the most communicative you can tell they're passionate about it. You know, they return calls really quickly. They're excited about, you know, getting the coverage, but they also understand how things work. Um, and then you have clients who, you know, you, you, you've you got three sort of sets of features or quotes for them to do, and then they miss the first deadline. And then you can't really pitch anything else for them because you've already got one thing outstanding. And, you know, if people don't get back to you, you're a bit worried that you're going to be left high and dry in terms of what you're then going to provide to the journalist. And the PR journalist relationship is just so integral to everything. Um, 
I mean, in a way, you could say that clients come and go, whereas the PR journalist relationship, that tends to be one that's maintained over years and years and years, because we don't mm. really tend to, to leave our jobs, do we? So, you know, I'm working with journalists now who I was working with 15 years ago, and you sort of grow up with these people. Yes. Um, and we've really built our reputation on being reliable. You know, when I send quotes over, I send them over in the way in which I know they are usable. They make sense. They are written clearly. The grammar is correct. The spellings are correct. I would never, ever send anything where when I read it, I thought, oh, I don't really understand that, but I'll just bung it over. I'm really keen never to do that because I, having been a journalist, I know that if something comes over and it doesn't really make sense... I'm going to use something that somebody else has sent that does make sense. I'm not going to bother with the one that, that has come in. I, you know, I would consider that unfinished. So that's why it's really important to have this kind of backward-forward relationship with the client as well. Because, you know, often it's a starting point. You send over a quote, I'll read the quote, and then I'll think, oh, but I want to know more about that. You know, what about that? I don't really understand that bit. So that's when I would phone and say, can you just expand a bit more on this? Or, you know, tell me a bit more about that. And when it's all really clear, that's when I'm going to send it over to the journalist. Mm. And so you need that. You need, you need a business to respond to you quickly so that you can do that back and forth so it can go out in a timely fashion. Yes, absolutely. Um, if we miss deadlines with journalists, I mean, one, it's really embarrassing and can have an impact on that relationship moving forward. Um, and two, it just means that you're less confident to keep pitching that client on an ongoing basis because it's a bit hit and miss about whether they're going to get back to you. So I think really the best relationships um, are when the chemistry is really good with a client, you know that the client's going to come back to you um, and that they take on board uh, your advice about the, you know, the tips and the stories that are going out there. <laughs> Quite often, it feels it, it feels difficult to come up with a story, doesn't it? When the stories are all all feel very familiar to me, but I think that quite often it's that the story won't be familiar to the consumer or to the trade press. It's slightly different. How do you sort of deal with reinventing the wheel? How do you help salons do that? Again, I think that's my hunger for a story. Like I love finding a story and an angle I think we're really good at doing that because I've been doing it for 15 years and I still you know I still talk to people and I'm like oh that's really interesting we can definitely do something with that so with trade press it's a bit easier in that you know that is the sort of story that they're looking for and it can be anything from education training customer service you know all of that sort of thing whereas with consumer press you really do need something that's consumer appropriate to take to them. And um, I've had situations before where I've been talking to a salon about what, you know, why we need to come up with that great USP for a consumer story. And they've said to me, well, our, you know, our salon's just really good at hairdressing and customer service. That's, you know, that's just what we do. And I said, well, that's brilliant. That's, you know, like a great brand pillar. But in terms of a story, that's not something that I can take to consumer press. And they were saying, well, you know, but but that is what we do. We just we just are really good at customer service. So, you know, what I'm looking for in a consumer story is generally it's going to be trend led or it's going to be a service. It's going to be something different. And you're absolutely right. It can feel um, like you're reinventing the wheel. But 
it's like a machine that needs to keep being fed. There have to be new products, you know, innovative ideas, new stories. And even if it's something that is a trend that, you know, you might know it's been knocking around for donkey's years, but then we give it a different name and we've spotted it on a celebrity and there's a slightly different way to do it. And there's a beautiful picture that goes with it. And then you've got a service and that's something that you can take to consumer press. And I think what you mean by that, Sally, is if you think about it, at one point, if you put Arj on the end of anything, as in balayage, it just flew out the doors, didn't it? A pastelage. So what, what is pastelage? It was pastel colours over a balayage paint. Balayage hadn't changed. It was just a new way of interpreting it. Contouring from makeup to hair. It was, I think, quite often when trade press is different because trade press can be technical, but consumer press needs to be image-led. It needs to invite the audience, think, oh, I want that. So by association, food and colours and fabrics and things like that it's, I mean, that, it's my, that clever communication isn't it it's, yes it's, it's helping the client really see what that colour is um and making it really aspirational and desirable yeah absolutely and it could it goes with cutting too like you see people that could be you know, strong at say a, a lovely bob line, and they've just they've changed the shape of the the overarching shape is the same, but they've changed the feel of it a little bit. Suddenly, that can become a story. It's you have to be you have to be able to think about what you're doing and then pitch it to your PR and say, "This is what I'm doing. And this is what's different about it." And then the story begins, and then you pitch it out, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And as the PR as well, you you know, you're the one who does play devil's advocate and say, "Oh." Well, it's a bit similar to that. So could you come up with a different angle for that? Or or even, oh, do you know, I'm not sure that that is much of a story. So shall we, what can we do and think of something that's a bit different? And it, yeah. it, it's about taking that on board because your PR is the person that's going to go out and pitch it. And if they don't feel confident that that's going to fly as a story, you know, there's a good chance that it's not going to. But by sitting down together and working out what you can do to make that really attractive to press, that's how you're going to find the success with it. Collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Exactly. So you have built some massive, you've helped build some massive careers in the UK. Chris Appleton was a client of yours before he moved to LA and now look at him. Errol Douglas... Kareen Jackson, Jamie Stevens, me. There's like this whole slew of people in your salon, but you don't just represent big names, do you? No, um, I would say that we represent everything from global brands to, you know, individual entrepreneurs. And it's just as Mm. exciting to work with a, you know, a smaller salon that might not have um, a reputation at that point, it's really exciting to be part of building that. And it's, you know, it's lovely to get involved with people when they're just getting started on their kind of PR journey as well, because you, you know, you get to see that, well, you get to shape that actually, and you get to see that grow. And it's really exciting, you know, across the course of my career, I've had, I've had those times where you land a, you know, whether it's a cover or, you know, all the first couple of sentences in a feature, they've got their name yes. in a magazine. Like, that's amazing for some people when that, that first happens. It's really exciting. And then it grows and it can be, you know, it's a whole feature. It's a front cover. It's 10 front covers off one collection. It's a, you know, massive product company deal. Um, or it might even be things like they can track back, you know, £10,000 worth of sales because they had a particular yes. feature. 
You also do events for people. We've done events together. So PR becomes not just writing articles, but it's about organizing events. So it could be a local event or it could be, you know, a, a regional event. Or you do, a, you do a lot of that as well, don't you? Yeah, we do. We do lots of events. We're working at the moment on um, virtual events. So whereas previously... Ooh. Yeah, I know. So previously, Ooh. we would um, we would do things like desk visits um, with press. We go for coffees and all of that sort of thing to lovely events like the one we did um, for you at the Ivy, which was beautiful. So we're moving all of that now online. So um, we're putting together events for people where we've got a beautiful package that we'll send out to the journalists beforehand. And then we'll do, you know, maybe a Zoom masterclass or some sort of element where they all join the call and they get to, you know, get to know the brand and the product, whatever the launch is. So, um, yeah, we work on events as well, which is really fun. Really fun. And that you're changing in changing times. I mean, you've got to roll with it, haven't you? It doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So we definitely have to adapt. We're all rolling with it, I think. And I think that's the important thing in it, isn't it? Yeah, it Um, is. Right, Sally, so what advice would you give to people? I mean, we've talked about so many different ways in which you can help enhance and grow a business. And that's, that is what you do in some ways. You help and grow it in the public relations field and get the message out there. What are some of your top things, do you think, important things on your list? So I think primarily you just need to make PR a priority. Um, so I love, so one of our lovely clients is Caroline Sanderson, who's a Salon Jedi. Yeah, she's been on here. She's fabulous. So she's got a new book out, which I've read. And although I'm obviously not a salon owner, so much of the mind stuff advice is, is really, really helpful. And one of the things that she talks about is chunking things down, goals and priorities. And she says, you know, at the start of the day, even if it's just three things, what are the things that you want to achieve? So what I would say to clients is, If a PR profile is one of those things, then make sure that that is one of the things that you do every day. So, for example, if you've got a feature to do, get that done instead of, you know, knocking it back, knocking it back, knocking it back. And then that's the thing that drops off your list at the end of the day. It's just really important to get it done and out of the way. And once you've done that, that enables your PR to go off and get you another one. So then the more that happens, the more coverage you're getting you know, the more bang for your buck you're getting. So I just think it's really important to prioritise. And I think being really available for your PR is also so important because while we give you deadlines, um, some features will be specifically for you. We will have we will have secured that just for you. Um, that's especially important because if you don't if you don't meet that deadline, we've got to go back to that journalist and say, we haven't got that feature. Now, I want to just jump in there because I, th- I remember this was a long time ago. You asked me to do some quotes and I was, I think I was pretty dynamic that day. It must have been the first on my list because it was all colour quotes and it was language. And I did all of these things for you. And I sent you this huge, like, two-page email, if an email is two pages. And the next thing we know is because the other colorist that they wanted to use hadn't sent it in, we got a full page, a full page in Glamour. Yeah, this, we got this a full is why page. as well, it's so important to send back really good information. So it's no good just sort of winging it off and ticking that box. It has to be really, you know, really engrossing 
important or entertaining or informative it has to be something that people want to read and that's yes. exactly it as well journalists if it's if it's a, a wider feature that's going to use a number of different quotes that journalist will have sent it to lots of different prs um, and in turn your pr will probably look after other salons and they'll have sent yes. it to all of those as well so really it's the first ones back if they're really good they're going to get used because that journalist isn't just going to sit around waiting for everybody to send their quotes back so you're kind of in competition with everybody else out there so you need to be really fast and you need to be really good like make sure your quotes are fantastic and work with your PR to make sure that they're the best they can be absolutely and the thing is you don't start off being necessarily being able to give a fantastic quote because you've maybe never done it before you've talked about it in the salon but I think if you write as much as possible down you suddenly start to understand over a period of time of what's what's required in that and I've been the one that's been on the ball and I've also been the flip side when I've just given you like two or three lines and I've seen maybe half a line in an article and I've read the rest of what everyone else has done and I know that that wasn't the PR's fault that was purely mine because if I don't give you the meat how can you sell the dinner? Yeah, that's exactly it. And actually, I would say as well that the longer you are with somebody, um, the better things get as well, because actually you tend to build up. Like I, I have an understanding of what you will say in a lot of scenarios. So although I'll obviously need new material, there's a certain yeah. amount of things that I have to draw from that I have from you already. What I kind of can't do is pull things out of thin air. So if a client says to you, oh, could you just write that for me? And I think, well, I can't really because I don't have that technical knowledge of, of what's happening there. I can edit it for you and I can make it you know, really workable, but I haven't got the bare bones of it. And additionally, if four clients all said to me, oh, could you just that, you know, write that for me? And it's a quote about how to do a certain hairstyle. I can't come up with four different ways to do the same hairstyle, to submit to the same magazine. But that's not your role, is it? Your role isn't to make the quotes. Your role is to help shape the quote once you've been given it. And then your role is to put it out there to the world. We can create the opportunities, um, but then we need the material to put out there. Yes. You don't employ a PR to come up with ideas, to do it all, to to write it, to do all of that, you as a, a brand have to have those ideas. You have to be able to talk about them and own them. And then the PR's job is then to help shape that message to put it out to the press. Definitely. So we can sometimes collaborate on ideas as well. And an example of that is um, with Kareen Jackson. So she was already doing her vegan colour um, but I said to her, what do you think about doing an actual vegan service? Because for me, that's more saleable as an angle in press. Um, and actually, it makes sense as a service for her. So all she had to do then was get in a, um, a vegan milk, uh, vegan cookies, because as it stood, clients could book to have a vegan colour, but then they couldn't have milk in their tea or coffee. They couldn't have those lovely little chocolate cookies that she serves. And yeah. by putting it into that you know, that nice little package, it's a vegan hair service. We got loads of coverage off the back of that. And I think she had growth of, I think she said about 7% of her sales then became that specific vegan uh, service. And But that's a natural progression, isn't it? You didn't make that up. That's just a natural progression of what she does already. Yeah, And absolutely. so you just saw, you, you just saw a, a, a way to tweak that and sell that. And that's brilliant. Yeah, 
But I mean, obviously as well, that relies on the client saying, oh yeah, that that's that's great, we'll do that, rather than, uh, you know, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because at the end of the day, it's the client, it's the client says, no, don't do that to you. You can't do anything with you. Your hands are tied, aren't they? The client has to have faith in you and also they have to have faith in the, the process, I think. Yeah, definitely. And just on that as well, it's really important that the whole team knows what you're doing. So if you are going to do something like that, it's essential that your receptionist then knows that that's a service that you offer. That the stylists, when a client sits down and says they're having a vegan service, they know that they're not going to you know, serve them cow milk. It's, it's got to run all the way through. It has to be a really, a really good communication. It has communication. to be true. Exactly. It has to be true. Otherwise, you get caught out. Mm-hmm. You can't make these things up. You have to, I think you have to have real ownership of the, the, the messaging that you put out there, really. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant, Sally. That was absolutely fascinating chat into the wonderful world that you live in. Um, before we go, is there anything you'd like to top tips or anything you'd like to say out there as, to a someone that's maybe thinking about it? I think a top tip would be um, have a chat with a PR um get a feel for what they tell you and for the chemistry and really be honest with yourself about whether you've got the time to put into it and whether you've got the budget for it um i think pr really has to be part of your your whole team your whole message it's not something to do when your salon's in trouble and pin all of your hopes on pr it's not something to do and just put it in a box and that's it pr's done now that's fine it's something that you really need to see as, as you know, part of your brand on an ongoing basis. So I would just say, have a, you know, have a chat with a PR and also have a chat with other salons, like, you know, see how they work with their PR, what works for them, what do they recommend um, and let that guide you. That's a great chat. If you're interested in hearing more from Sally, we're going to put um, the website in the bio down here and in the hashtags for you so you can follow sally thank you so much for joining us today it's been a pleasure jack yeah always great insights i just want to say how are the chickens oh the chickens are fabulous they've grown all of their feathers back so sally rescued some chickens so i'm really like thrilled about that to hear that (laughs) thanks so much for coming on today pleasure jack so i hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as i did making it for you Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. 